this new understanding that being a human being is messy and volatile and not pretty most of the time, right? As I think we feel pressure to be still like the superwoman. Somehow we're supposed to be, I guess, yeah, more than human. What I end up discussing with people is accepting our humanity, really listening to your body, tuning in and trusting that is a part of your true self. Welcome to another episode of Let's Get Practical. For today's episode, we have Angela. Angela is a psychotherapist based in Seattle area. I met Angela through a mutual friend over 10 years ago. When in 2017, I was single parenting my two kids. My daughter had just been born while my husband was working abroad. I was depressed, miserable, and a snap judgment. I decided to reach out to Angela for help. It was amazing to get to know myself better. But most importantly, I felt I had been given the tools to make a better sense of what was happening inside myself. I had better vocabulary to see and knowledge and let go of all of these emotions. She says, we're all on different points on the journey to knowing ourselves better. Her ultimate aim is to join her clients heal and discover their true freedom. Angela, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much, Monica, for having me. It's such an honor and pleasure. And this is super, super cool. Yay. I am so excited to have you, Angela. I feel I get to have a free session with you. <laughs> but also, I, I just noticed that mental health is such a big issue that I see everywhere. And all the more important, I think, to talk about and from a practical standpoint. And I thought, you, what do you have as your ultimate goal to help people find their true freedom? I thought it would be a good place to start. What does that look like? What does it mean for somebody to have this healing and true freedom? Wow, that is a big question. I think there's so many different aspects to that. But I think in the midst of this kind of cultural shift that we're all experiencing, clearly we're in crisis, right? And there's like this... It's like we're in the late stage capitalist journey. And as things are starting to reveal themselves as not really working for the average American and our ideas of what is required of us and what we need to do to achieve those, the dream, the American dream and success, we're finding that it doesn't work. It, a lot of people are just having to rethink, reevaluate, and figure out. How do I want to live this one life that I have? Maybe I don't have to play by all the rules of society. Maybe I don't have to be what everything has been grooming and pushing me to be my whole life. And I think that's a big part of the journey, right? Is figuring out who you really are, what your own values are, what's important to you, and learning to really trust and honor that while you're moving through society and wrestling with the messiness of relationships and life, but somehow 
maintaining this connection to yourself and really honoring who you are. That's beautiful. This couple of days ago, I was listening to this podcast and we are, there's just so much input from things that we read, social media, and we tend to believe that we want those things or that we are those things or we should be those things, like in your clients or people that you've seen in general, like what are some of the most maybe harmful or severe or things that take over that sort of this alternative script that we give to ourselves? Mm. Anything that you've noticed, like any trends or patterns? Yeah, that's a great question. Clearly, it's fair. We all bring in our own experiences and backgrounds that kind of color which messages hit us the hardest. But for sure, the classic things is I think we feel pressure to be still like the superwoman. Somehow we're supposed to be, I guess, yeah, more than human. A lot of what I end up discussing with people is accepting our humanity. So self-compassion is a really big concept and buzzword right now in the world of psychology. But I think that really does lend to this new understanding that being a human being is messy and volatile and not pretty most of the time, right? But our culture definitely bombards us with messages that we're supposed to be clean and metaphorically and figure and literally like smell good and always be on top of things. And I think just really not accepting our humanity is a big piece of the mental health struggle, just accepting what it means to be human and expecting that we should be able to rise above that, which is absurd, right? But we do it to ourselves anyway. I know. I am so guilty of that because I, part of it, I do really think that I can accomplish more things than other people or I have in the past. And I do feel that I'm a little bit different and being different almost gives me this pressure that Mm -hmm. I have to do more. Like I have all of these tools available to myself and Mm. how could I dare be lazy and not do more Mm. than how to not have these tools? Any thoughts on the sort of like hustle culture, like productivity? There's so many advances now, even with AI, like so many of these tools that are almost like, like nudging you could do more, like you are able to do more. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Are we really able to do more? I think that's, it's a conundrum to me too, as I'm watching hustle culture being challenged. And I'm not sure where this is all going to land. If people do start to lean into, I, maybe I don't have to kill myself to be okay. Or maybe I don't need to have X amount of dollars in my bank account to be happy. Or I think as we are challenging those ideas, I'm still waiting to see what happens. But can we do more? I think we can, but there's always a cost. So it's more like at what cost? And 
what is important to you. What are you willing to give up and what are you not willing to give up? I think those are really hard decisions that we all need to make with our time. That's uh, also great, this idea of decisions. And I think even the first time we met, that was one of the, the big things. Like yeah, I was making bad decision after bad decision. And I, I don't know if I'm, I'm that much better today, but like this <laughs> idea of making better decisions, not for our parents, not for our yeah. boss, but for ourselves. Yeah. And from all your experience with different clients from different walks in life, any practical mind frames or tools or ways to think about it that can help maybe not you in the right direction? Yeah, I think one thing that has been really coming forth in psychology research is how much our bodies are tied to our whole sense of mental health and wellness, right? And I think along with hustle culture, we have been most of the time utilizing our body as just a tool, get things done, rather than really understanding that our body is who we are. Our body is what we inhabit. Our body is, it needs to be healthy in order for us to function well. And so I think there's a lot more emphasis on tuning in with your body, listening to your body, not overriding all the different cues and messages that it's probably trying to tell us all the time, right? Stop, or you need more sleep, or sometimes you, your body will tell you, don't say yes. Your mind says yes, because it wants, it has some other goal in mind. So I think from a very practical standpoint, I would suggest practicing really listening to your body, tuning in and trusting that is a part of your true self, right? It's not always our bodies have all these other messages that we might interpret from the world, but it tells us something about what our true self needs. And so learning to pay attention to that and be curious about that and maybe sitting with things a little bit more before we jump into saying yes or doing something. I do think that, I mean, from all the years of therapy or even exercising and meditation, prayer, I am pretty good at listening to my body. But if you had to tell somebody who has no experience listening to their bodies, like they don't know what the, their bodies are saying, any kind of instructions or I don't, like for me comes very naturally, but how do you explain it to somebody who's just starting to? Yeah, I think, you know, how my work is so individual, right? And so it's very tailored to each person's situation and background. So I don't really have a method per se, but I think as I'm talking to different clients, we do practice just noticing a little bit. If I'm talking with them and it seems like they're feeling something or I can tell that their body language is shifting, I will maybe note that and reflect that back. And so there's this organic experience of starting to understand that emotions are connected to their bodies. but 
Outside of that context, I think meditation really is helpful or the body scan meditation. I don't know if you're familiar with that, no, but not. it's you can find it online anywhere, these guided meditations. But it basically walks you from the tip of your toes to the top of your head in terms of relaxing and you start to just get more connected to your body, right? And noticing the different sensations and things that we are usually not noticing. We're mostly disembodied, right? We go about our days not really understanding what's happening. And so for people who really haven't had any experience, I think that body scan meditation is good. Yoga is really good because you are, again, being guided to connect to your body and feel what's going on in your body as you do the poses. So those are some good starting points. For me, I am so good at listening, but also ignoring what my body is telling me. So I'm exactly. like living, I'm living in like chronic burnout. Like I think every day mm. as in I'm just so riding the wave. I love working. I love getting things done. And I see the, the thing moving forward. And it's really hard to stop sometimes. So I don't know if you have any advice for people who are like almost addicted to work, addicted to progress, to making things better. How can we like change that? Again, I don't know if it's this, this habit or routine. How, how can we break that pattern? There are a couple of really good books that are out there that do address this as well. I just want to throw them out there as resources. There's a book called Burnout. It's literally called Burnout. And I think her name is Amelia Nagoski, but she writes it specifically for women because we have our own kind of version and flavor of burnout. A lot of societal messages that are also that we've absorbed in terms of needing to be busy and caretaking and always just keeping everything together, we tend to make choices, again, pretty subconsciously that we're not even aware of, right? That kind of just grind us down. That book is really good because it helps you to see more what might be driving you and learning to slowly dismantle that, right, in terms of, again, shifting into what is really important to me versus what do I feel compelled that I'm supposed to do. And they also have some very practical, like, methods in how helping your body to process that stress and all the cortisol and all of the physical manifestations of burnout, right? Kind of self-care in a very bodily way. There's another book called Real Self-Care. And I will have to look up the author's name for you, but she's also discussing how to make better choices and have boundaries so that you are living more according to your values. It's very similar, but I guess maybe I think it really does require a paradigm shift because I think that if it's coming from, I'm just going to try to 
I don't know, like it, it might be more like a New Year's resolution kind of thing if we try to attack it from a more superficial level. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but just trying to change little things here and there. Those things tend to just not stick. Like you can do it for a couple of days and then you do it again. So I think usually having a paradigm shift where you're really buying into, I don't want to live like this anymore. You know, like I really want to approach and show up in life differently and examining what's driving us. I also remember we've had some conversations about ADHD Right. And that could be a piece of what's happening. A huge piece. For you too, right? Because right. if it's like the dopamine where you're just needing another dopamine hit, then everything I'm saying is moot because that's more of a physiological issue, right? Which that, I don't know. Yeah, of course you're craving dopamine. It feels good, right? It does help us to keep moving. So that you would probably need to add that layer to the other stuff I was talking about. Yeah. And it, some people tell me, oh my God, like everybody has a little bit of ADHD or everybody, now everybody's coming out and saying they have ADHD. And then I feel like, no, but there, there are, there is a real, I think, diagnosis and absolutely um, right. But then I do also not use it to my advantage, but everything I see through that lens of, or through that layer. And these days I, I do notice a lot of people around me that, oh my God, I really think that kid has ADHD or I really think she has ADHD and she doesn't know. Is this something that, you know, that, I don't know, maybe you have more clients that have ADHD where we never diagnosed before, or do we just have more of it now? Any thoughts on or any research on that? Yeah, that's another great question. I'm not totally sure. I agree with you. It's real. It's very real. I think if you have a real ADHD diagnosis, you're going to find that it's clearly more than just inattention, right? Or being hyperactive. Like it affects the way that you feel about things, right? You're more sensitive or which there's just so many other pieces to ADHD. So it's a very real diagnosis. As for why it seems increasingly prevalent, I'm sure some people are misdiagnosing. And my guess is that maybe there is a spectrum where some people do have it more severely and affects them a lot more. And then some people you can manage okay. So yeah, I think there's a spectrum there as well. I think that it's very plausible that we're also giving ourselves ADHD just with technology and we're all addicted to our phones and the dopamine hits that we get and social media is created, designed to also exploit that. I think it would make sense that we're all even training our brains to be more ADHD. What do you mean by that? You know how, have you heard about how the social media companies, the actual engineering and algorithms of how they are 
kind of tantalizing users to use it as much as possible. That is training our brains, right, to constantly want more of this, the dopamine hit that we get from a like on our social media or just seeing the next video pop up. It's our brains are used to having so much stimulation and that dopamine hit like constantly and quickly. And so I think our brains start to rewire and mm-hmm. and crave kind of more get of used that. to that. Yeah. Interesting. I did, never thought of the, we could be giving ourselves more ADHD, but we are, yeah, like training our brains to become more addictive, more like just craving more of that, which we are, mm-hmm. again, like you said, like causing ADHD. I think something interesting that I wanted to ask you is you have much older kids now and I have two young kids and I'm like terrified about social media. And the only thing they see is they watch YouTube videos and then they have YouTube kids on their iPads, but they also have shorts and we tell them, okay, don't watch shorts. Cause I, I do really think that this yeah. very short form videos that are, it's 60 seconds of like full packed action cannot be good for them. That's right. But I think I can already see them hiding and watch it while like mom is not looking and they're yes. only six, they're only like, I don't know, ah. seven and eight. And ah. I have no clue how to go about this in the future where they'll spend a lot of time on their own. I know. I wish I could give you good answers, Monica. I'm terrified with you. This is the thing. I think if we're all honest, things are changing a lot faster than what we can really manage or know what to do with, right? I would love to give you a great practical answer to easier worries. And I think there are things that we can and need to do, but I think in truth, we don't really know what we're doing to ourselves. We're just figuring things out as we go, right? It's like, building the plane as it's flying, right? I feel like that's what's happening. And clearly boundaries are good. Self-control and teaching them limits is absolutely necessary, but it's so much easier said than done. My suggestion is to find a limit that feels reasonable, like not something that is unattainable. You just know they can't do it and then stick to it. Even if they're kicking and screaming and I hate you or whatever, like just stick to it. But it needs to be something that is fair and reasonable because it is embedded, intertwined in our kids' lives. That's the reality. Yeah. With your kids being much older, how do you think your kids manage social media and screens? I personally feel like they're more addicted than I would like them to be. I think what's even harder as they get older is it is their link to their social world. And so it's really hard to limit that, especially as an adolescent, right? When your whole world is geared towards connecting with your peers. And if that's the one way to do it, then taking that away 
I think really does feel like killing a part of them to not be able to have that connection. So that was what I was coming up against with my boys. So they are on their social media or their phones much more than I feel comfortable with. I will say that we also had lots of conversations about content, right? Mm -hmm. And having some discernment about just knowing when some of the stuff that they're watching is trash or being able to interpret the world with some clarity and not just getting sucked in, right? Because I think that's a concern that I have and would have is just how much everyone can just fall along and get brainwashed into thinking the same way and seeing things the same way, because that's how everyone seems to be talking about things, right? Or everyone's watching this one TikTok video or, and then that becomes truth. I think conversations about that is probably really critical that what isn't always what's true. I know my kids will say, oh, like this YouTuber said that, and it's just like, reasoning and questioning things along with them but it's already so hard and their peers some of their peers have like iphones and i'm like wow like i'm just so shocked at like how some kids have full working iphones and they're like in second grade and and just having to tell them sorry we can and it's almost i'm out of words I i don't know how to why not and it's hard to explain that in a way they understand. It is hard. Yes, like, you're right. She has, because like it's, it's the whole thing of if everybody has it, why can't I have it? And it's not everybody, of course, but she has it. I want one. Why can't I have one? And yeah, it's like difficult to find words. You're not ready for this yet. But mommy, you have an iPhone. And it becomes like very difficult. It's so complicated. I know. I'll send you, I wish I could remember the names of them, but there were some documentaries that came out years ago that did expose the algorithms of the social media platforms and the addiction and all the repercussions for kids. And I think it would be age appropriate too for your kids to watch, but just from a very almost objective, it's not you saying it, but showing them these studies of all the different negative outcomes from being on it too much. This is not social network. No. There was another one. Yes. If you remember, like I, it's, I see it coming. I was totally in my, in in my cloud of parenting and just worrying about how can I make them eat better? Like those concerns, but I now have this like avalanche, like I do not, and I just see it coming and and I'm going to be totally dead. And I'm just trying to like, like run, but there's no way. So I'm just bracing (laughs) myself. Uh, I love I really the, avalanche the avalanche metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Um, oh, God. Terrified. And they're only like second and fourth grade. <laughs> right? So even with oh. men, 
just this idea of just imagining my son watching porn things. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how, how to deal with that. Definitely conversations, normalizing it too. Like it's, this is just what's happening and this is what you need to know. At what age do you think those conversations are appropriate? I think you said second and fourth. I think the sad reality is exposure is happening at younger and younger ages. Mm. And that might not be too early. My God. It's so sad. I know. And you don't have to go into graphic detail, right? It's just alerting them. And I, I'm not kidding. Like to my horror, I think I'm really naive, but they would just download some games for kids. And now would notice, oh my God, these ads were <sighs> horrifying. Yes. And I'm like, oh, and I don't, it's almost, I don't want to talk about it because they're, I'm not, I don't want to amplify or I right. don't want them to pay more attention to that. I know. Right. And then it's the moment of, okay. I'm deleting this app <laughs> or, yes. or yeah, it's, I think it's just such a, I don't know, like mean way of building these things that you're targeting through this child oh my apps gosh. and this like advertisements were trash. So at some point I had them hide the, ad, <laughs> the ads with their hand and they would do it okay, at time and then they will take it off. But Recently, I've been telling them about, again, trust your body. If you think this is something that you don't want mommy mm. to know, it's probably not a good thing. There <laughs> you like, go. I'm, I'm giving them things. So I'm like, that's great. But it's just, if you think something, somebody killing each other, somebody naked, all of those things probably are not good for you. What do you think? <laughs> and they'll say not yeah. good for us. But then it's. Good. It's the lost cause. I'm like, I'm like, I, I, we've lost already. It's not a lost cause, but I understand. I think that parenting my boys through their teens, I felt that a lot because it just felt like, yeah, you're fighting against the entire like global <laughs> movement. <right? laughs> so I, there's this like commercial interest behind all of this i know but i will say now that there are more like young adults do not give up and as they've gotten older their feedback has often been more like you should have pressed us harder you should have put more limits on but i was so scared Oh, wow. I was so scared. I was like, oh, they're just going to be mad or they're not going to understand or they're going to be you're so gonna, annoyed. Like, away yeah, exactly. I'm just chasing them away. As they're older, they're like, oh, yeah, you should have done this more. Or That is so I, interesting. I know. So don't give up because I think what I am learning as we talk retrospectively about parenting them is that they really are listening even if it seems like they're not, and even if they behave as if they don't care, it is, it's going somewhere. Mm -hmm. So definitely don't give up and don't take their kind of reactions and 
their behavioral verbal cues as like your guide for sure. That's very but it's good hard. to know. Yeah. Cause I don't want to be rejected and I don't want to, mm-hmm. and there's this a lot of fear of what if I do that and they turn away and they don't, they, they stop talking to me or I noticed that like too much scolding, they'll just hide it from you. Mm. And so maybe there's a difference between having conversations and boundaries and scolding. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between making them feel bad and wanting to hide it versus getting their buy-in. I like how you said to them, do you think this is good for you or bad for you? And they themselves are coming to the conclusion of this is probably not good. So getting their buy-in and then reminding them is probably a lot more effective than if we're like angry and like, you're doing it again, or I told you not to do this and you're still doing it. (laughs) That's a Yeah. The kids can be sweet, but they, until they're not like until I I just want to. And then we had Halloween and, and just so much oh, candy yeah. at home. I, I hate Halloween. And this one mom was like, I want to like taste my kid. Like <laughs> she used this expression. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's like really strong. But I could totally understand that feeling. Like yes. she, she used that word. And I was like, okay, that's a little too strong. <laughs> oh, I want to taste my son. <laughs> And visualize it and understand because some of this totally can really make your blood boil. Um, Yes. So from a practical standpoint, I was going to say to that end of things that ties in with some of the um, other pieces of our conversation is that can also be a good time to notice your body, right? And listen to what your nervous system is telling you. And if your blood is boiling or if you can feel yourself getting triggered or whatever, right? Like those are good moments to listen to your body and probably don't talk (laughs) or calm down, right? Like really tending to your body first and getting yourself more regulated so that you can make a good decision, right? Because if we make decisions when we're dysregulated, when we're already feeling threatened or overextended and stressed out, the likelihood of making a good decision is just a lot lower, right? So even just practicing going, okay, I can tell anything that I say right now is probably going to be super harsh or maybe I just need to calm down first and then have a conversation with them about it later. I know. I made all those mistakes today. <laughs> I was just like oh, such a we mean. All do. Oh. And I it's just I was just such a mean and terrible mom and I just why do we do that? It's just like why does that being like fire coming out of my mouth? Why does that make me feel like instantly better? better? I think it's like a release valve. Right. right? And I think what's really sad, I caught myself doing this when my kids were younger too. And I felt really awful. 
and really worked hard not to do it once I realized it. But I noticed that my stress, just my own personal stress, my life stuff, my relationship issues, my job stress or whatever, I found that release when I did maybe discipline them for something that they really did need discipline for, but it was like all that angst and all that stress, all that energy got channeled into my moment of discipline. I had to apologize to my kids a lot for things like that, where it's okay, yes, I did do something that would make mommy mad, but geez. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes so much sense. It's like, okay, I just had a piece of candy. And mommy, right. I didn't finish my, I didn't finish my milk. (laughs) Right. I didn't brush my teeth. (laughs) I got slapped. Yeah. So when I, and it feels so good sometimes, right? When like you, it's like that little crack, and then you see that crack, and all your energy is sort of yes, yes. And I would say that's a good thing to take home anytime we start to feel that sense of indignation of I have a right to be so pissed off that I can (laughs) say whatever I want to say and behave however I want to behave. That's a really good kind of red flag alarm of, okay, like I need to calm down. I'm just going to hurt somebody here. Anytime I get that feeling of I am justified, whether it's with my kids or anybody, that's my first my clue. My husband. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's my first clue. There's something going on here for me, and I really want and need this, right? Like, I really want to project all this yuck onto something and feel good about it, but it's probably yucky because it's really not about this thing that I'm targeting. How do you bring that elsewhere or like, how do you like throw it away or I don't know? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's where curiosity is so critical really being able to stop and just go, huh? Like why? Yeah. I just, bit his head off for not putting his dishes away and getting curious what's going on. There's clearly some other thing that I'm holding here. And I think this is where the self-care stuff is really important, right? If we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're burnt out, if we're overextending ourselves and we're not happy, and then we're transferring that onto our kids, That's really unfair, right? So we could say that's one of the costs of us trying to do it all. And so having to assess, is that cost worth it to me? Like if I'm going to do this thing, it's probably going to make me more stressed out and I might be in a worse mood and I might not be very patient or whatever. And really having to calculate, is this worth it to me? That's awesome. That brings the whole thing like home. I did have another question for you that I, I've been seeing in like articles and 
this idea of like loneliness like we're all mm. like hooked up to our like phones and like socially yes. very activated but I've been reading about this like loneliness epidemic mm-hmm. this like relationship recession like friendship yes. recession or something anything that you've noticed I don't know like clients or like things that you have been reading is this like real is it just articles that are like more people feel it's that real. way I think especially post-pandemic, right? And again, I think just the last five years, it's there's so many changes, so many upheavals, so many things that have been out of our control. And I think we're all trying to find a place to land with it, but definitely relationships have taken a hit in the process. I, I thought that after COVID and I, I almost feel like we're, we are in the post COVID moment. Yeah. Things would be a lot, but almost like a, it's like spring and mm. more like I value friendships and let's hang out. And yes, I think people are more isolated now and feel lonely. I think that there's different reasons why, but yes, I think there is a trend of having gotten too used to being isolated, feeling too comfortable being alone, or too accustomed to living with the loneliness even, right? Like during COVID, we had no choice but to find ways to cope and get through and Maybe for some people, those coping mechanisms are working too well, or they still haven't made an adjustment to come out of that space. And I know even for my my two boys, the kind of ripple effect of that is that then people who are wanting connection are sometimes met with what feels like distance or in coldness. And then that can also then cause people who are wanting it to withdraw mm-hmm. more because they're not finding that reciprocated. So I think there's a lot of different reasons why disconnection is so epidemic. Wow. Any, I don't know, any, I don't know, tips or things that you think could help people to feel more connected or to get them more out of their ha- homes or maybe like, can we feel connection from our homes like not having to hmm. meet in person i think that it's better than nothing for sure it, i don't think that it's a replacement but it is better than nothing and maybe in the same way that we were talking about parenting in this age it's just pushing through not giving up really honoring the fact that as human beings we need connection we we literally need it and i think that's why you see so many mental health issues that are exploding is part of it is because we are not getting the connection that we need and so it is in the same way that we need food and water and sleep we need connection And circling back to the first question that you asked about, can we do it all? It's we can get ourselves to do anything. It's again, just at what cost, right? So we can live very isolated lives 
we could do it, but there is a cost to ourselves, to our society. So I think it takes all of us pushing through some of that discomfort or being more proactive in reconnecting, being patient that some people might take a little longer. That's awesome, Angela. I think this is a great place to to wrap our conversation. Any thoughts on um, any encouragement or things to people who are listening to you to take better care of themselves or yeah, self-care and finding this truth? I think that the older I get, the more in a weird way. I feel a lot of hope because I am seeing through just my own life and through the span of time that we are resilient people and there's something innate in each of us, a very strong drive to live, right? And to live well. And I think that kind of just really embracing that as part of the human spirit and part of the human journey that it's no one said it was going to be easy. And we live especially in a, a very hard time right now, but our ability to transcend suffering and to make something beautiful in it and out of it, I think is, you know, it's a miracle, but then it happens all the time. I hope that people will just keep fighting, keep hoping, keep believing. That's awesome. Thank you, Angela, for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much, Monica.